Hello and welcome to the Food Connections podcast, the podcast that helps you learn more about the food you eat and connect with those who make it. I'm Dr. Laura Wynas, a registered nutritionist specialising in nutrition research and communication. I'm also delighted to be one of Scotland's 25 regional food tourism ambassadors. In this episode, I'm joined by Jackie McCreary. Her and her husband, Simon, have a dairy farm in East Lothian. And alongside the farm, they run their business, Yester Farm Dairies, that uses the milk from the farm to produce a variety of yogurts and cheese. I was keen to ask Jackie more about the cottage cheese they make, as it's one of my favourite types of cheese. And there's some great suggestions on how to use cottage cheese to make some delicious dishes. Jackie helped to bust a few of the common myths around dairy foods and the dairy industry. And we also talked about the work she's been involved in recently, looking at ways to improve the sustainability of dairy farming in Scotland. So I hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to Jackie McCreary. How are you this morning? I'm good. Thank you very much, Laura. Good to meet you. And likewise. And can you, first of all, just tell us a little bit about where your farm is and a little bit about your farm? Yeah, we have a a mixed dairy and arable farm in East Lothian, just a few miles from Haddington, which is a really nice bit of the country to live and work. Excellent. Not far from Edinburgh. No, it's about half an hour drive from Edinburgh, which is really handy and and close to the beach as well. So a nice place to be. Lovely. Um, So, yeah, how did you end up being on the farm? Um, I guess probably a a circuitous route. I started off, I am a dairy farmer's daughter, um, so I have a farming in my in my background in my blood so to speak but I actually after university um, became a solicitor um, worked in Northern Ireland and then in a commercial firm in Edinburgh and then went in-house with a rural organization and did policy rural policy parliamentary lobbying that kind of thing which was really interesting but after kids as is the case um, so, so often I kind of went part-time and started working in the business at home And then eventually my total focus became the business at home and I've given up external work altogether now pretty much. Uh, So yeah, we run the farm, my husband and I and his family run the farm and we have a processing dairy business, Yester Farm Dairies, that runs alongside as well. And so can you tell us a little bit more about Yester Farm Dairy? Yeah, so our farm is Yester Mains. It's it's always been a dairy farm, but my husband's family bought it in the early 90s, as many Northern Irish farmers did, moved over from Northern Ireland. Um, and it's sort of built up uh, since that stage. So we're now milking around 380 cows. So they're the, the usual black and white cows that people associate with dairy farming. Uh, and they're a Frisian Holstein cross. We do mix in a few other breeds just to to give a bit of resilience and other properties to the milk. So we have some Jersey and some Ayrshire cows mixed in there too. Our cows graze during the day and come in at night generally. And we milk them twice a day at the moment. We did go through a stage of milking three times a day, which was a bit more intensive, but I think it's a nicer way to farm and, and a bit less stressful to milk twice a day. They're milked about four in the morning and four in the afternoon. And it takes about four hours to do each milking. And the cows produce around seven and a half litres, seven and a half thousand litres of milk every day. And all of that goes into our pasteurisation plant and then across into our cheese room to be made into our cheeses and yogurts. So, yeah, it's um, the two businesses run alongside each other and, and depend and interrelate with each mm-hmm. other. Sounds like quite a lot of milk. Is that a normal sized or an average sized dairy farm in Scotland or 
How does it compare? Um, I think we're we're bigger than the average in Scotland, but Scotland does have a relatively large average. I mean, there are some dairy farms in Scotland that are milking thousands of cows and others that are only milking maybe 40, 50 cows. So yeah, I think we're slightly higher than the average, but there are much bigger operations than, than us. But our focus really is to produce the right amount of milk for the size of business that we want the processing dairy to be. So the two run alongside each other and we don't want to be in a position of, of overstretching things, but you know, to just to have a sustainable level of milk coming in that we can process and manage ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I guess if you're milking at four in the morning, four in the afternoon, that's a few early mornings then. Are you kind of used to that by now? Um, well, like, yeah, I, I'm not up at four o'clock in the morning. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have, uh, my husband is occasionally, but we do have a team actually at the minute that, um, so we you know the guys work on rotas and shifts. So, you know, you're, you're not up four o'clock every morning in the week. Um, okay. So they do, they do rotate a bit and they give a bit of a, a work-life balance. Brilliant. That sounds good. And have mm-hmm. you got quite a few staff on the, the farm then? Or uh, Yeah, we've got... Um, three guys that help us on the farm. Um, well, but the two businesses actually, because they work so closely alongside each other, we actually have one of our delivery drivers who has trained up on the milking as well. So he can do, he can cover um, milking if someone's off on holiday. So the, the two, between the two businesses, we employ about 20 people. Um, but most of us involved in the processing side of things. I guess it's farming is maybe a slightly unusual type of business in that some of our staff or a lot of our staff actually live on the farm as well. And um, we have a few cottages here. So uh, our, our, our chief cheesemaker and our herdsman live on the farm, the, the guys who do the milking live on the farm. So it's a bit more like a community rather than, you know, your standard type of business, I guess. Yeah. A short travel time to, to work. Exactly. For unsociable <laughs> hours. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So one of the things about dairy is something that I often hear is a lot of myths and misinformation. So I was wondering if you can help clarify a few things. One of the things I hear this a lot, being a nutritionist, is that milk is quite fattening. So what would you say to that? I think it's partly, I can understand that people might think that um, because sometimes we describe milk as full fat or whole milk. And, and that kind of gives the idea that it's mostly fat. But actually, even full fat milk is only around 3% fat. So it's actually, and that's the legal definition of low fat. You know, Mm -hmm. when we're to be able to call a product low fat, it needs to be 3% or less in fat content. So it isn't a high fat content product. It's actually a really good source. I mean, you'll know this, Laura, as a nutritionalist more than me, but it's it's such a good source of protein and other nutrients. I mean, at the end of the day, cows are very clever because they can turn grass, a source of protein, which we can't eat and which we have lots of in Scotland, they can turn that into milk, which is a really nutritious source of protein and other nutrients. So uh, I think in Scotland, we're in an ideal place to actually be growing our dairy sector and to be producing protein for our growing population. We also get meat from the dairy herd as well. People might be surprised to know that half of the meat that we eat comes from the dairy herd. And in our case, we breed beef calves from our cows and you know we talk about climate change and all the rest of it with cows those beef calves are born with zero carbon emissions because we've got two sources of protein our carbon emissions are all associated with the milk that's produced so we have you know a really low emission carbon emission source of of protein in the beef from the dairy herd so to me I think dairy ticks lots of boxes Mm -hmm. yeah good to know about the the beef also coming from the the dairy herd Uh yeah and 
as you say, yes, milk is packed full of nutrients. It's very nutrient dense and the, the high quality protein. And as a nutritionist, I know that it's, you know, lots of important vitamins and minerals. Um, about a third of our recommended calcium intake comes from the milk and dairy in our diet. But it's not just calcium. A glass of milk provides vitamins B12, vitamins B2, potassium, phosphorus and iodine, which are all really key nutrients for us to have in the diet. Um, mm-hmm. I suppose another myth or, or message that I sometimes hear is about the antibiotics in, in milk. Um, do you want to kind of clarify, is there any antibiotics in the milk that we drink here? I, I agree that is another myth. And I think sometimes because people get so much information from the internet and not necessarily realizing from which part of the world that information is coming. And I think possibly in other parts of the world, the regulations and restrictions in in terms of what can go into the food that we eat is very different to what we have. But certainly in the UK for decades, we haven't had antibiotics in the milk that is consumed by humans. We can treat our animals with antibiotics if they become ill in the same way as humans can, can take antibiotics. Obviously, in the same way, antibiotics are used very sparingly because, well, A, they're expensive and B, for all the same reasons that we don't want to overload humans with antibiotics, we don't want to overload our dairy herd with with antibiotics either. But if they're ill and they need antibiotics, we will give it to them. But the milk from that animal is not allowed to enter into uh, it's kept separate from the rest of the milk and milk raw milk is tested it's the first test that it's, it's done on the milk to make sure there are absolutely no traces of antibiotic in the milk and it, if there were you would have to to dispose of that milk and not use it so um it's not possible in my experience for antibiotics to enter the milk that we use to make um other dairy products or the milk that we drink in the uk mm-hmm. no that's good to know i guess moving away from milk because the main focus of your business I understand is more about the cheese you were telling me earlier about the cheese room that you have so really interested to hear a bit more about what happens in that cheese room so what cheeses do you produce or why are you focusing on cheese well when we started uh, processing our own milk uh, back in sort of the late late 90s um, we did start just making sort of liquid milk and cream for what's called the middle ground so independent shops restaurants uh, that kind of thing but it is a really cutthroat market and really difficult to make any money in because it's um, uh, very low margins sort of high volume type business and you're competing against some very big companies which obviously we're not so we did go through a process with Scottish Enterprise which was really useful for us actually to do a review and a strategy review for the business and good timing, I think, as well, in that around the time that we were doing that and identifying the need for us to diversify our range of products and our markets, we also um, were approached by a small group of, I suppose I call them angel investors. Their expertise was invaluable in setting up our cheese room, which was really, it was the grain shed on the farm that we converted into a cheese room, which involved really just making a white food safe box inside okay. a bigger shed. Um, but we're very proud of it. It's, it's not big, but I think we've created a, a lovely little cheese room with the ability to produce, you know, quite a bit of product. We started off making soft cheeses and mozzarella. I think we identified that there was a bit of a gap in the market for a really good Scottish soft cheese. There tend to be, you know, people will be familiar with the main brand that's on the supermarket shelf um, mm-hmm. for soft cheese, but we didn't think there was a really good alternative to that. So that was our aim was to become uh, the alternative to the big 
sort of craft Philadelphia type brand. And also the Fiora de Latte mozzarella, we, again, we felt there was a, a gap there in Scotland. No one else was making it. That's, it's not, you know, the Fiora de Latte basically just, just means cow's milk mozzarella, but it's the slightly firmer mozzarella with the stretch that you get on, on pizzas. So, you know, we, we identified that, I think, as a potential market, and that has been quite successful for us. So that's how we started off. And then we added some cultured creams, creme fraiche, sour cream, that kind of thing, and yogurts into the range. So we're still looking to expand the range, but at the moment, that's the core range that we're making. Yeah, it's quite a variety then. And certainly cheese is one of my favourite foods, I have to say. Mm -hmm. And the cottage cheese in particular. Now, I know it's kind of a, a bit of a marmite in terms of cheese. Some people love it and some people kind of turn their noses up at it. But <laughs> um, cottage cheese is one of my favourites. And you make a great cottage cheese. So do you want to oh, explain the process about that cheese and yeah. how, how that's made? Well, I think you're right that it has become over the years a Marmite type product in that you either love it or can't stand it. But I would say to anyone who thinks that you haven't tried our, our cottage cheese because <laughs> what, what we've, I think over the years, and it became a, a diet product, it became something that was zero fat content and basically water with a bit of curd, I think is how I would describe some of the cottage cheeses that you might find on the supermarket shelf. But that's not how cottage cheese started. Our objective was to rewind the clock 50 years and make a traditional old-fashioned cottage cheese, which basically, it, it starts off just with the curd, but we then dress it with a cream dressing. So it's still a, a reduced fat product. It's not a high fat product, but it's not the zero fat that you get um, in some other products. It has a we like to think of it as a chunky curd so it actually has a curd you can taste and that you can feel and that has texture um with a cream dressing so it's like a, it feels like a rich product but it's actually a low fat high protein product yeah and it's, it's definitely something that i often mention during my one-to-one -one nutrition consultations especially if people are wanting to lose weight i, I always say well have you tried cottage cheese because of all the cheeses it's a high protein cheese quite low calorie count the protein in the cottage cheese helps stimulate that feeling of fullness as well. So mm -hmm. it helps keep you yeah. satisfied. So a really good food to include. And what would you say is the, the best way to include cottage cheese? Have you got any favourite ways to use it? I know people often say like, oh, it's a baked potato and cottage cheese is a classic one, but surely there's other ways. Well, there are. I mean, again, we do actually eat, we, we tend to eat it with baked sweet potato um, with cottage cheese and tomato and black pepper. I love that as a, as a lunch, but you can use it. You can substitute it for other cheese. Like for example, if you use it instead of ricotta, for example, in, a, in pasta dishes, I've known uh, some of our customers use it you know, in their lasagna and other pasta dishes. You can use it in scones and pancakes and that thing in baking. So if a couple of these ideas are on our website, actually, if anyone wanted to check it out, but yeah, it, it is a much more versatile product. I think if you just substitute it for something else and try it out and see how it works. And I think it goes very well with pasta. Yeah, I did see that recipe for was it, um, scones that uses the cottage cheese. Uh, I haven't tried yes. it out yet, but I've, yeah, it's on my list to try out. Yeah, um, and yeah definitely worth it. And another way I sometimes suggest is having it in a sweet or kind of using or chopping apple through it or some like kiwi fruit or any fruit through it and have it yes. with a maybe a drizzle of honey as well as a uh -huh. sweet dessert or a snack yeah. um, and on the savory side of things another idea is we sometimes 
Um, if you're again just wanting something quick and easy, you know, some some cracker bread or or rabito or whatever, and a little bit of pesto through the cottage cheese is lovely. A little bit of green oh, pesto yeah. through the cottage cheese—that's a really nice combination as well. Lovely. So, um, so many ideas. So yeah, if you haven't tried it or if you think you don't like cottage cheese, do try it again and uh, <laughs> try all these ideas out. So along with the, the work you do in the farm, you're also quite busy with other things as well. And one of the things mm-hmm. that you've been busy in is looking at the sustainability of dairy farming in Scotland. So can you explain a little bit about what you've been doing in that aspect? Yeah, well, I think with my was my legal and policy background, um, I was asked to chair the Scottish government's farmer-led group on the dairy sector looking at climate change. So the Scottish government set up five farmer-led groups to help inform them in terms of the policy going forward for agriculture post-Brexit and how that would be funded and supported and framed very much within the context of tackling climate change. So I, as I say, I chaired the, the dairy group, um, which was quite a daunting prospect, I have to say, but I kind of felt as a female in a male-oriented world, yeah. it was quite important to, to, you know, to accept the job. I'm not very good at saying no anyway. But <laughs> um, so I was a bit daunted by the prospect, but actually we had a really good group of people, farmers from all different areas of Scotland, very different systems. Some were wholly organic, very extensive systems. Others were big sort of intensive systems. So very different points of view on how to achieve the same thing. But really interesting. I learned a lot. And such a, I think, a really positive, forward-thinking group of people. So in a relatively short space of time, we delivered our recommendations to the government. Those five reports are all taken together then to help inform government. And they've put forward an implementation group now to look at those recommendations that we all need. I think it did definitely, within the group, you know, the, the, we were all very much on different stages of the journey, but dairy farming as a sector, I think, is further ahead than some of the other sectors in, in, in farming in terms of sustainability and measuring carbon footprints and being aware of the emissions from their own operations. And partly that will be because uh, some of the big milk processors will require it as a condition. But a lot of people were maybe carrying out carbon audits just to tick a box rather than really understanding what it meant and uh, implementing changes to their business. So I think what we were looking at was setting a baseline for the whole of the sector to get everyone at least started on the journey um, to carbon audit their farms, to do not just that, but a whole review of their business and their operations, and then identify areas where they can be making improvements. And then that would inform government support in terms of a lot of the things we need to do in dairy farming is very capital intensive. So it takes equipment, it takes buildings, it takes machinery, technology. So a lot of it takes a lot of investment. And that's where government can come in to assist, to move the sector on. And there's so much can be done. But at the basic level, I guess, we discovered that just being efficient is, is one of the best ways of reducing your carbon emissions, doing everything efficiently, making sure your cows are their fertility rate is good, you know, their their health is good, you know, all of those cutting out waste in the process at every stage really just is, is the first way to A, farm better, be more profitable and uh, and reduce your emissions. So that's kind of a starting point for everyone, I think. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like a, a win-win situation as well and kind of sharing experiences and ideas mm-hmm. and having a plan to work towards. It sounds like you're making great inroads with mm-hmm. that. Um, and 
along with that, another hat you've got is kind of your involvement in RET, which is the Royal Highland Education Trust. Yeah, the Royal Highland Educational Trust is the uh, charitable arm of the Royal Highland Society that runs, amongst other things, the, the Royal Highland Show. Uh, RET is, a, I think, a great organisation for anyone in agriculture to be involved with because the objective is to connect children and young people with where their food comes from. And I think that is so important. Children, well, A, they influence their parents and their parents' choices, but they are future consumers as well. And I think if they know from a young age what's involved in farming, what's involved in making their food, and even just a very simple connection that farms make food. You know, I think sometimes children see tractors and cows and don't necessarily connect that with what, you know, the bread that they're eating or the cheese that they're eating or the vegetables. So I think it's a really a wonderful organisation to, to get involved with. And uh, we, well, I sit on the board of, the, of, of RET, but we also do volunteer and, and do farm visits and that kind of thing. So the really the, the core activity of RET is to provide visits for school children to come out onto farm. It's obviously been uh, hampered by COVID mm. over the last few years, but we are now getting kids back out, out onto farm. And it's, a, it's, it's great seeing children you know, their little journey in a few hours on a farm from getting off the bus and the smells and, and the, uh, quite often they're kind of, oh, they, they recoil back. But by the end of the visit, they're not even noticing what they're smelling. They're, they're just so engaged in, in, in what they're hearing and seeing. Yeah, a whole different sensory experience for them. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and you mentioned briefly the, the Highland Show, which obviously is back on this year for the first time in a couple of years. So you were involved in that as well. Yeah, I, I'm on the board of the Highland Show, is, uh, the Highland Society as well. And this year is our 200th show. So not only are we back, we're back with a bang. Hopefully it's going to be a great show. And my role is I'm chief steward of the what we call the Scottish Championships. So that's really the non-livestock competitions. So we have a dairy products competition, bread, honey and handcrafts. I think it's a really lovely showcase for Scottish produce and, and particularly smaller producers who maybe don't get a, a showcase elsewhere. And we, we have our, a great range of judges from buyers to um, cheesemakers to foodies. And, and I believe yourself, Laura, hopefully this year are going to come along. And, I was so and delighted, judge. yeah, when you yeah. asked me if I'd um, <laughs> be willing to be a judge. And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great, actually. And lots of people think, oh, the ice cream competition must, must be wonderful to judge. But I think after 160 different ice creams, <laughs> <laughs> our poor ice cream judges are, are uh, I've had enough. But yeah, it's, it's a wonderful competition. It's wonderful to see the range and the, the quality of the produce that we're making here in, in Scotland. Yeah, looking forward to that very much. Um, so I guess just to finish off, because it's a Food Connections podcast, do you have a favourite food? I think there's nothing to beat a roast lamb Sunday dinner. And I have to say my mother-in-law, Lynn, makes the absolute best roast lamb dinner. I'm also a huge fan of just the basic pasta. Quite often I will just make, um, you know, just pasta and some of our creme fraiche with a bit of salmon or a bit of chicken and some spinach and and that's such an easy quick supper but I really love it you know lacquered with parmesan on top that's one of my favorite everyday dishes as well sounds delicious and a big shout out to Lynn's roast lamb as well she'll be happy with (laughs) that (laughs) thank you so much for your time and sharing a little bit of an insight about what you do on the farm and all the fantastic roles that you have as well thank you very much Laura 
Thanks for listening to this Food Connections podcast. Do check out the show notes for some resources and links related to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it and do get in contact with me if you have any comments or suggestions for future guests. See you next time.